You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 529 for September 9th, 2020. On today's show, flute player Jamie Baum. Tomorrow, September 10th, is my 47th birthday. And the convenient thing for you is you don't have to run out and get me a gift. All you have to do is go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a a member. It is the single best way to show your appreciation for this program, for the 13 years of work that have gone into the massive archive of the jazz session, for your support for what is to come, including the fact that I'm about to move into a van and travel around interviewing people. All of that can be expressed with your membership at thejazzsession.com slash join. Five or ten bucks a month, you get a bonus episode every week. At the ten bucks a month, you get that plus another bonus episode every month. It's a pretty cool deal. You get some behind-the-scenes access to stuff and early access to the shows. Most importantly, though, you are supporting this program. And if that's something that you feel called to do, I hope you'll go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Here's music from Jamie Baum's album, Bridges. Welcome to the jazz session. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Nice I'm to so, be here. I'm yeah. I'm so happy to uh, to finally have you on the show here on the second episode of season thirteen. Uh, as will be the case, uh, I assume for a while into this season, we are recording this interview in the midst of uh, a pandemic, among other things. And so maybe I'll just uh, start right there. You're a musician who lives in New York City, and I'm and also an educator. And I'm just curious about what things have been like for you since everything shut down. Interesting, to say the least. You know, I I think like everyone, it's been a huge adjustment and just sort of trying to find the silver lining, you know, and, and be productive and make the most of it. You know, the hardest thing, which I'm sure you've heard from everyone, is just most of what I do is performing and touring you know, I was out on tour, actually. I was supposed to be on tour for almost the whole month of March, and I was partway through the tour, and half of it got canceled and had to come home. And I've had several tours throughout the rest of the year that have been canceled. So 
that's, you know, one thing. It's just such a strange thing to not be performing and playing with people and rehearsing with people. And I think, you know, living in Midtown, I live at, we were talking about that, I live in Hell's Kitchen, Midtown, New York. It's such a different experience, I think, than people that live elsewhere. I mean, I think everybody's experience is different depending on where you are and what you do. But certainly in New York City, we got really hit hard initially, more hard than anybody else. And so the shock and, you know, not sort of being used to it and the protocols and what it was what was going to transpire and how it was going to go was really challenging, you know, whereas a lot of the rest of the country sort of, of, however prepared they chose to be, at least they sort of saw what was happening and had more information by the time it got to them. So it was really intense through June, really, when things started to calm down a little bit, especially... You know, I live, like I said, in Midtown and near 10th Avenue where there's, it goes straight up to St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. So, you know, it's just hearing sirens all the time and getting used to people wearing masks and not really leaving the apartment and having all the work canceled and not getting to play with people and um, rehearse and the usual kind of thing. So it was pretty shocking at first and still challenging, but little by little, I think you sort of start to see what's going on and what's happening and how things are unfolding. And I think most jazz musicians, you know, we're improvisers and you kind of improvise and sort of figure out, okay, this is what it is. How am I going to deal with this? And what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to make the most of this? What can I focus on and what can I learn and, and, and be productive during this time when I can't do what I've been doing for the past many, many years. So it's definitely been a challenge, but we're all in the same boat, really. And so I think everybody's dealing with it and trying to trying to figure out how to, how to navigate. Is this one of the longest periods you've gone without performing for other people? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I I do teach, but really the bulk of what I do is perform and tour. You know, and, and I was used to getting together with people probably three times a week. I mean, we do that a lot in New York City, you know, where you get together during the day and uh, play people's original music and play tunes, you know, we call them sessions here, and then, you know, gigging at night and performing and rehearsing and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm lucky. I mean, I, I live with my husband, who's a drummer, so we would start to, you know, play together, um, not every day, but quite a bit, just so we would play because we're so used to playing every day. And then um, little by little, you know, I live at Manhattan Plaza, which is uh, artist subsidized housing. So there are many musicians that live here. And we luckily had a steady gig for the last um, maybe six weeks every Saturday 
where there's five of us from the building, some really great musicians decide to start playing. You know, they have a really nice courtyard and a plaza on the second floor that's only open to the people that live in Manhattan Plaza. So we've been doing a little sort of concert gig every Saturday for a couple of hours. And so that's been great, you know, just being able to play. I remember when we first did it, I think our, the first time we played was July 4th. And it would it was about, you know, four months or three to four months for all of us the first time we'd actually played with other people, you know, or four people. And everybody was just so happy to play. And I remember after doing the gig, it was like the first time I felt kind of normal, you know, and since everything happened here. But again, as I said, I think it's a very different experience for other people because some of my family was in Connecticut and, you know, it's much more um, suburban or rural and they can go for walks and they can have more space and get out. And, you know, certainly there are people I know that have houses out of town and they have big music rooms and space. So I'm sure that really makes it a different experience. But, you know, this is the New York experience, really. So it's been great, and I think it's going to be difficult once the cold weather comes because, you know, I think Europe has started to have performances and open up more. We're sort of not welcome and not really sure how soon I'm going to want to fly anyway. So the future is a bit unknown. But I had a lot of tours and performances. You know, I was supposed to be in Europe this summer and California and in August and coming this fall. And, and luckily, a lot of them have been not canceled but postponed. So it's, you know, really nice to have things to look forward to. And certainly we hope things will be more back to some sense of normalcy by then. I blame this on my own uh, taste for apocalyptic fiction, but there's something particularly post-apocalyptic about the description of like an enclosed interior plaza in the apartment building only attended by people in that building where a concert is taking place. Like as if the, as if all the world outside it has just been leveled and there's just this building that exists. And so we try to reproduce as many of the things of the outside world as we can. And one of those is there are people living in the building who play music. So they put on concerts and there's just, I don't know why, but while you were describing that, it's really a beautiful thing to re, you know restore music and live performance and all of that should be celebrated. But for some reason in my head, I was thinking, man, there's just something super dark about like, we just have to <laughs> meet in the building and do the best. <laughs> the best we can. I don't know. <laughs> I know. It, the whole thing is very surreal. I mean, really, you know, I mean, we're living in such a very strange time. And I mean, it, it's kind of funny, actually, the plaza, the outdoor plaza, um, it's on the second floor. However, it's not enclosed in the sense that, um, you know, it's it's kind of a square or, or a rectangle and two sides of it are against the the building itself. So actually the people that live on the different floors that have balconies, they actually can sit out in their balcony and then other people can come, but they haven't really wanted to um, advertise it, you know, even to the people in the building because they want to keep social distance. So, you know, some people I know sort of come, but like, you know, us musicians, we don't really care so much. We're just (laughs) happy to be able to play together and have a place that's safe outdoors, you know, and it's really quite, 
funny, to be honest, because, and quite a little bit challenging in a way, because, you know, we have to set up at least six feet apart. And myself and the trumpet player, you know, everybody's wearing masks, but obviously we can't play while we're wearing masks. So it's, it's kind of, you know, the first few times were really tricky because we're trying to figure out how to take the mask on and off in between our turn to play, you know, and, and he would put it under his chin and I would try that, but then I felt like I was choking, so I couldn't really play. And then I'd try the one ear thing, but then it would be windy and blow off. So it's quite kind of comical and quite kind of surreal in a way, but you know, they're all so happy to just get to play that no one really cares. And I've been really focused on sort of, more original music for the past few years. But in this instance, you know, we're all just making it simple and playing standards. So it's been kind of fun sort of brushing up on, you know, memorizing a lot of tunes. And we sort of made little goals for ourselves, of, you know, a new set list every week that we all sort of brush up on. But the funny thing I started to say was that, you know, the other two sides that aren't against the building wall is is sort of open and you see all the buildings of across the street and, you know, down 42nd Street and all that. And, and so sometimes we're playing and all of a sudden the sirens are go, going by and we can't hear each other or like cars, you know, like you hear shots almost. And, and so it's really, it's a very New York kind of thing. But it's it's nice. I mean, we all are just feeling kind of a little, nor, you know, a little more normal just having that opportunity. But... Of course, when it gets cold, I'm not sure what's going to happen. A quick break from the interview just to remind you that this is a wonderful time to go to thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member. It's super easy. If you find that you might have five bucks a month that just kind of floats around and you spend on something that you don't especially need, well, here's another thing that you don't especially need, but that might make you feel a little bit better about spending the five bucks. You can become a member for $5. You'll get not only the main show, but you'll get a bonus track of the week episode every week. Then if you go up to $10 a month, you'll get all of that. Plus, you'll get an extra bonus episode every month where somebody talks about an album they like or it could be something else, but mostly it's that. Now back to the show. provided me a, a segue earlier that I did not take, but I'm going to take it now, which is uh, that you said you have been focused on composing original music uh, in recent years. And uh, that gives us an opportunity uh, to talk about your most recent record, which is just really um, brilliant and which I think really speaks to uh, your 
desire to explore and to synthesize. The album is called Bridges. And uh, maybe I'll just ask you uh, to kind of give us the... I was going to say the elevator pitch, but it doesn't have to be that short. But to to kind of describe the the overarching theme of the album and what you were trying to to weave together and explore. To try to put it in a nutshell, I started this band in 1999 um, as an outgrowth of getting my master's in jazz composition. And the first 10 years, it was kind of an amazing band with Ralph Alessi and George Colligan. And I focused on utilizing things from classical composers like Stravinsky and Bartok and Ives and things like that. And during that time, I had some opportunities initially through the State Department to do one of those, you know, jazz ambassador tour to South Asia. So India and, and, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. And, you know, I had always really been attracted to Indian music anyway. So I was very excited to have an opportunity to go there. Um, and then through that, I made other connections to go to Nepal and um, where I've been a couple of times and actually we're supposed to go this November, but it's being postponed to next year. So I sort of switched directions and switched personnel around 2010, where I brought in Amir Elsafar and, and Brad Shepik. You know, those guys were very versed in world music, should I say. But uh, I really wanted, as a composer, I just really saw South Asian music, Indian music, as a really wide open opportunity because, you know, they don't really use harmony. And so their sort of evolution has been through rhythm and the scale, you know, their melodies, um, you know, they use quarter tones and I mean, that's simple, really simplifying it, but, you know, and they have these very complex rhythmic structures. And so I really wanted to sort of focus on the melodic development that from that and, um, so I, and I really fell in love with this music of Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, who is a Pakistani quali vocalist. So I did um, my CD in this life, which was before Bridges. And from that, I started thinking about why I was so attracted to that music. And in a nutshell, really, I, I have Jewish background and I grew up, although I'm not super religious at this point, I grew up going to Hebrew school and bat mitzvah and all that, the older, you know, very conservative where a lot of the traditional Jewish music was played. And so, you know, to really make this in a nutshell, I found that there were a lot of connections between South Asian music and Jewish music and makam, which is something that Amir was very uh, studied in. And we had a lot of discussions about that. And so I wanted to explore that. And I had applied for a Guggenheim so I could do this project. And it sort of took a little bit of a turn because some of the ideas that I had that I wanted to research, I couldn't get the information I wanted. So I ended up sort of really more focusing on some of the connections, the musical connections between those musics and also at that time, there was an earthquake in Nepal, and I got a commission from the Rubin Museum to write something, and I based that on the god Shiva honoring Nepal. You know, there were a lot of sort of connections between that music and the Jewish music and jazz. So sort of the centerpiece of that is the, this piece that I wrote incorporating some ideas from the music from Nepal, but also the connections between all of those that's that sort of a longer explanation, but it's a little hard to 
narrow it down. So. Yeah, and don't uh, don't feel compelled to to have to narrow it down. You know, the beautiful thing about podcasts is they end when they end. But I've thought for years. I was growing up. I was a big fan of things like Paul Simon's Graceland album or David Byrne's work with Brazilian musicians and and you know listening to people like Hugh Masekela and you know Yuso Endor who worked with Peter Gabriel who I really loved and I spent a lot of time really digging that music and then as I got older I spent a lot of time thinking about that line that artists have to tread between appreciation and appropriation and how steeped do you have the ability to get in the music of another culture you know do you have the time how much effort have you put into it is it like a flavor of that other music and so I think a lot of artists answer that in very different ways and find very different ways to bring influences from outside of their own frame of reference into the music they make so I'm curious how you have dealt with that and how you've figured out how to incorporate these things that inspire you into the music that you're writing? I think that's a great question, and I have kind of like two answers to that. Um, one answer is sort of like a general jazz answer, and that is is that, um, you know, I think one of the attractions of jazz really is that it's always been about um, incorporating other influences, you know, it's so malleable, you know, because if you look throughout jazz history, and again, you know, we're doing the the um, abbreviated version here, but, you know, you look back at Charlie Parker with strings, and he was really into Stravinsky from what I've read, and then you look at Stan Getz with the Bossa Nova, or Dizzy Gillespie with Latin music, or... Um, you know, Miles with rock or Indian music or Coltrane being influenced by Indian music or there's just always been um, artists looking to other cultures or other kinds of music that are part of their experience to grow as either an improviser or a composer or both really. And so, you know, that I think has always been my kind of mantra in a way. And then on the other side of it, um, I didn't do this in the liner notes in Bridges, but in the liner notes in um, in This Life, I have kind of a disclaimer on one of the pages of the liner notes. And I, I particularly, you know, because using the some of the music of Nusrat Pati Ali Khan, you know, being someone who has spent a bit of time in India and Nepal and just really loved Indian music, I have a tremendous appreciation and respect for the depth of study it, it, it takes to play that music. You know, I mean, they you look at somebody like Zakir Hussain or, or, you know, just so many of the amazing Indian musicians, you know, they start when they're, you know, first of all, it's oftentimes part of family tradition and they start when they're little and often they go live with their guru and it's years and years of study before they even perform. So my goal, and I said this in, in Bridges, I mean in, in this life, is is not to play in that style or not to try to say that I'm playing in that style or using that style. It's more how that influences me and what I can take and expand the the jazz format um, in terms of my own writing and in terms of my own improvisation, sort of having an understanding of transcribing. Like um, in this life, it opens with a tune that I call Nusrat, where I had transcribed 
um, Nisrat's vocal solo, which was no small feat. <laughs> I had to, <laughs> you know, slow it down, like slow it down twice and then put it back in the computer and then slow it down again. And But, you know, um, I just found it very fascinating the way he developed and embellished the melody and, and certainly the way they embellish, you know, the melody in Indian music. That, that I was impressed with or that uh, affected me, whether emotionally or technically, and see if I could use that in, in a jazz context or in a context of my band and, uh, you know, in, in that way. So I'm not really, I'm not trying to be a traditionalist or by any stretch of the imagination saying I'm playing this type of music. I'm really, I'm a jazz musician, you know, trying to sort of expand it. But, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because I think, you know, as as someone who started playing flute, which was already a non-traditional instrument in the jazz world, at least when I started, and that was sort of before there was this whole miscellaneous instrument <laughs> thing right. that's very much accepted now, you know, and championed. But back in the day when I started, you know, it was the traditional saxophone, piano, bass, and drums, or trumpet, you know, guitar, you know, that kind of thing. So already I was sort of coming in with the, you know, as an outsider in a certain way of the traditional thing. So I think, you know, one of my goals with starting the septet or, or writing my own music or the quintet was to try to find ways of legitimizing the flute in that context. And also not always feeling like I had to be the melody or the top line. So a lot of the music, you know, sometimes I'm playing inner line or alto flute and trying to, you know, use ways of composing that certainly the instrumentation I use, you know, is, is a little bit different trying to, like I said, legitimize or give the flute an important role as weighty as perhaps the trumpet or the other instruments. And so, you know, that that's another part in the mix, I guess, another tangent, I guess. I think we could make a compelling case that a lot of the other instruments aren't championed since they are grouped together into a category called miscellaneous instruments. <laughs> right, that's true. It's true, but I mean it's 2020 it's for God's now. sake and that's still the case, right? So. <laughs> I know, but but it is still so much more accepted. Fair enough. You know, no, when no, no, I first yeah. started there were I can't tell you a number of times I was told by record labels or festivals, you know, that they didn't feel like 
you know, flute would carry, you know, a whole recording or, right. you know, you know, who knows whether they were using that as an excuse, but certainly I don't think that's in question anymore, really. I just wanted to uh, self-servingly mention that uh, you made reference uh, to Amir Asafar and to Makam music, and uh, Amir has been on the jazz session talking at length about that, and if folks want to know more about that particular style and about what Amir does um, under his own steam, uh, you can go to the archives at thejazzsession.com and uh, find that interview. Yes, so, he's amazing. So he really sure is. Great. He's, he's brilliant. Let me take just a moment to thank the folks who make the Jazz Session possible, starting, of course, with you, the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, Dave Rabel for the logo, and Chuck Ingersoll for the voice of the intro. You can hire him to be your voice, well, not all the time, but, you know, some of the time, at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, which helps the show go up in the rankings and its categories and greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. Because now if they search, you know, for jazz and podcasts or interviews and podcasts or whatever, they see the jazz session. If you want to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. You can go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at Vanarchism for all the stuff about my van travels and all those cool things. And you can go to vanarchism.com slash YouTube to see the YouTube videos that I'm making for that new project. And now, back to the episode. Shugandim pushti varanam Urvarukamiva vandanan Mrityumukshamam As you look forward, and we talked a little about, you know, the possibility that a lot of the things that you had booked will just get moved into the future, which is great. But as you look at yourself as a as a writer of music and a, a gatherer of ensembles and that kind of thing, I know it's an uncertain time. But do you have some idea about what you might like to work on next, or are you already working on whatever the next thing is? I am. I'm working on new music for the Septet Plus. It's kind of funny because we were supposed to play at uh, on the West Coast. Well, we are supposed to play at San Jose Jazz Festival this August and then do tour in the West Coast with Earshot and and Angel City and a few other things. And then, like I said, we were going to go to Nepal, which was really exciting because they wanted us to come there and play the suite. So I had I had actually... In February, before I, I went on tour in March with somebody else's band, which got cut short, but I had gone to this artist retreat called Virginia Center for the Art for two weeks to compose. And so I started working on 
something for the septet for the new project because you know want to do a new recording but you know of course everything that's going on affects what I want to write and I want to of course reflect what's happening and I also did get a grant from this composer's organization so I'm going to you know use that toward it but so I'm working on that and then I've also started another project with some other people that I'm sort of they've agreed I'm not sort of at liberty to announce yet but um oh this is the best kind of stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's a whole new project sort of starting to you know try to delve into the virtual side of things and learning how to record uh I mean I've always composed through a program on on my computer but now trying to record and collaborate with people virtually and that kind of thing so I'm working on a project um, in that way. And then, you know, I had a, I have a smaller band called Short Stories with Andy Milne, and we were supposed to be on tour the end of March, and then we're supposed to play at the DC Jazz Festival and Rochester Jazz Festival in June, and then go in and record our first recording. So that was very disappointing that we're going to have to put that off. So I started to write a little bit of new music for that project. You know, I have um, always things going on you know so I mean as a composer you know there's always like I said you know we're we always feel frustrated and disappointed but always looking for the silver lining of things to work on and the you know the positive side is I've been able to practice every day which a lot of times when you're on the road or going out to teach or doing clinics or things you don't have that much time and consistency so able to work on certain things in my playing that I've been wanting to work on for a long time and then being able to get up every day and compose in a consistent way so you know those are 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 things the positive side of things You mentioned wanting to reflect on, you know, what's been happening now to all of us. And I'm really curious to see the wave of pandemic inspired art. I mean, whenever there's some, you know, kind of world shaking thing like a, a, you know, a war or some major catastrophe or, uh, you know, even a a new invention that revolutionizes things, it, it finds its way into the art that's produced you know, often quite quickly these days. And I mean, I think we were already seeing, uh, you know, certainly I know in the in the poetry world, we're already seeing uh, a lot of writing about the pandemic. But I'm, I'm really interested to see over the next few years, you know, the albums and the films and the books that uh, come out that are, uh, you know, in some way influenced by, by what's been happening now, you know, by 
feelings of isolation, by feelings of uh, helplessness or lack of agency, by, you know, catastrophe, fear of pandemics, all that kind of thing. I think it's I think we'll see a lot of that reflected in the art that comes out in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such an interesting thing, you know, because, you know, everybody everybody deals with it in a different way, you know, and, and I think I see many of my peers and people that are sort of been doing a lot of streaming or putting stuff out there like from day one, you know, and and then there are other people like myself that, you know, I, I sort of... I, there's a part of me that wants to jump at that. And then there's another part of me that sort of wants to sort of look, look this in the eye and sort of, sort of fight, fight that and, and sort of leave, you know, you never, I mean, as musicians, we're always plugging, 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 particularly I think in New York city. And so there's, there's an attractiveness to standing back, you know, and, and sort of, trying to allow yourself to see and experience it in a slow motion, you know? And so, I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I don't judge. I mean, I think people deal, everybody deals in a different way, but I've been finding myself trying to fight the pressure and, and try to approach it in a slow motion to really sort of absorb and sort of enter the world of the changes, because I think, things are changing, you know, and we're really still in the middle, so much in the middle of it, you know what I mean? We don't know, you know, what the new normal will be, as they say, you know, things, how things will go back, or if they won't go back, or it'll be a whole new thing. My guest for this, the uh, second episode of the 13th season of The Jazz Session, uh, has been Jamie Baum. Uh, there'll be links to uh, her website and music in the show notes of this episode at thejazzsession.com. Uh, Jamie, it's been such a pleasure uh, to talk with you and to hear your thoughts on uh, both you know, your own condition and the condition of things writ large. And uh, I hope you'll come back, and I, I'm really glad that you uh, took the time to do this interview. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, and I and, uh, hope we, we get through this and get to do it again. If you dig what you just heard, become a member right now for 5 or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, Jamie Baum. Next week's show features guitarist Lenny Stern, finally completing my set of the Stern family. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.